As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I am Mary Beth. And this week we are chatting about Deadly Dungeons, Making Fetch Kind of Happen, an important new book, a heartbreaking mystery, and an OG found footage classic. Uh, all over the place a little bit. I like that. Um, I'm curious about this Deadly Dungeons, because uh, I'm wondering if it's what I think it is. So what what is what is this? It's still dungeon? not delicious in Dungeons. Ah, Sorry. Um, damn it. <laughs> I have watched more of that, but this one I had to talk about. There's a lot of Dungeon stuff happening right now. But so this is a, it is an anime okay. about Dungeons, but I tweeted about it today. It's called Solo Leveling. It just came out on Crunchyroll, the first two episodes last week and um okay steve and i have been meaning to watch it we checked it out and i was actually incredibly it's basically like if dark souls meets uh contemporary the contemporary world oh let me explain let me explain i've only watched two episodes of this by the way and this is based on um i want to make sure i get it correct about um but it's it started as a Korean web novel, and this is the adaptation of that. And so, but they kept all of the Korean names. It's just from a job. It's a Japanese animation studio, and the show okay. is in currently just in Japanese with subs. But they kept all of the Korean names. Um, sometimes, due to issues between cultures, not always done. Um, but here it is, and so. It takes place in a world where basically one day these like portals opened up to what they call dungeons, which are like other dimensions with monsters and, and stuff in them. And with the opening of these portals, people people were born with the ability slash like develop the abilities to be hunters. And you can be S, A, B, C, D, E class. We're getting into very, like, My Hero Academia kind of, like, One Punch Man vibes and sort of classification right. of power. Importantly, um, you can't... The, you are born into your rank. You are not able to gain more power. So, like, if oh. you are born or are an E class, you cannot get more powerful and upgrade. Like, you're, you're just stuck there. And so... The first two episodes follow uh, Jin Woo, who is, uh, they jokingly call him the weakest hunter in the world. He's E-class. He gets hurt all the time. He's not very good at it. But he still is a hunter because you get a lot of money doing it going to dungeons and his mom is sick and his sister needs to go through school. So he's doing this so he can make money. And so he goes into a pretty standard dungeon, they think, to... It's, it's like... I won't explain the whole complicated economic system that they've got going on here because they do have a quick, complex, like, 
it's basically like if done it literally is like oh if mana crystals from like D and like dark souls and shit were then used as currency in contemporary like it's very fun it's very weird but i kind of love it so like but we see what I kept calling it denim souls because like people were in jeans going into these dungeons that looked like they were full of dark souls bosses because like at one point they see another they think they beat all the monsters they go down another tunnel and there is something very big and scary and it is fucking gory it's way gnarlier than I expected it to be like people split in half stepped on Ooh. crushed like blood everywhere and then the second episode ends, and I'm, and you're like, what's happening? I have, and there's no more episodes out. Ah. So it ended on a cliffhanger, and I'm very, I, I read spoilers, but I think it's like, it's the basic, the basic synopsis kind of of the whole thing. But I really dig it. It's gross. It's like fantasy, but dark fantasy anime so far. Again, I'm not quite sure what to expect now, but... They set the tone pretty well of, like, no one's precious and, like, this is one of those, like, nihilistic animes that are just really brutal the whole time, but you kind of admire that. So, I like it so far. It is on Crunchyroll. It is only subbed right now. The dub is coming out soon, but right now it is just subbed. I mean, you had me at Dark Souls and Gory, so... I, I know I keep saying this, but I'm really going to have to check out Crunchyroll and watch some of these. I, I see the animation playing on the trailer for on, on IMDb, and I really like the style. It looks Yeah, really and like, like the boss fight, basically, in this is like a giant statue that shoots out laser beams from its eyes, and then it also stands up unless you follow the rules that you have to find. It's like watching someone play a video game. It is It does feel like Dark Souls. <laughs> like it's it. really... It's cool. Um, yeah, I was oh, yeah. Uh, very into it um, so far. So that is solo leveling on Crunchyroll. Uh, making fetch kind of happen. Complete opposite of everything I just talked about. Complete opposite. I don't care. I'm so excited so, to hear about this. <laughs> um, I'm a little mixed on this one. Okay. Uh, okay. So I saw this on my birthday and it was obviously mean girls the musical which is the the movie musical based on the broadway musical based on the movie sort of like hairspray and i didn't even put it together until i was looking at imdb now but literally we are 20 years out from the the original mean girls like 20 years since mean girls came out i saw that in theaters wild to me me too that's wild to me that we are now 20 years later I love Mean Girls. I love the movie. Of course I do. It was written by Tina Fey. I love Tina Fey. She's my girl. And so I was really curious to see what would happen 20 years later on the musical. Important to note, I have never seen the Broadway musical. I've never listened to the Broadway music. My only enter to this is that I love Mean Girls and that this movie was both written by Tina Fey and the music was written and and composed by Jeff Richmond, who is Tina Fey's husband, and also did the music to 30 Rock, Kimmy Schmidt, Girls 5 Eva. So I knew that. I wanted to talk about this one because I do think that as we've we've kind of discovered on this podcast and has come up a couple times, the way that a lot of times it feels modern 
and I mean, Mean Girls, the original one, is, is still considered modern to me, but that modern movies are sort of taking the bite out of things. And so this feels kind of sanded down a bit. It's not as, I didn't find it as incisive or as um, mean, maybe, as the original one, which the original one felt like it was indebted to like Heather's and, you know, the, the 90s. Did they, did they use the term fugly slut? I don't believe so. Damn it, see? Come on. I don't believe so. And here's, the thing is, is that this is a, it's, it's, there's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows for this. I think, <clears throat> no offense to the actress that played Katie, but I don't think she was right for the role. I never once mm. believed that she would turn into a, a mean girl. She's a little milk toast in this. And I think some of that was sanded off. I, from what I understand, the musical is two and a half hours. This is a little less than two. So they cut out a lot of music. And I feel like in a musical with the music, it's not as it's, it's necessary to be in there because a lot of the story plot and a lot of the stuff happens in the songs. And so if you cut them out to save time, you're also cutting out some of the story that is happening. And I feel that that is what happened here. Some of the cast is fantastic. Uh, Janice. Great. I love Janice in here. Um, I love Damien in here, the, t the two friends. They are fantastic. They're given more to do here. Uh, Renee Rapp is a really good Regina, but it's a different kind of Regina George, I would say, than in the original one. The standout oh. for me is, is Karen, played by Avantika. She is fantastic. Oh, cool. As Karen. When when Aaron Samuels, the love interest, turns around in class for the first time, it was really funny. In my movie theater, there's a couple, there's a, a group of young of young girls, a teenager probably, and they went <gasps> when he turned around, like they were, they thought he was so cute, and I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just it's that's a little so bit, cute though. It is. Oh, I kind of love that. I'm glad that that still happens in movie theaters. I know that we're old, but like. No, it was it was just, really that, sweet. That makes that what does warm my heart that there are still kids going to movie theaters and get going when a cute boy goes on screen. It was adorable. <gasps> I will say that. So it just <sighs> it's a little all over the place. It I think that uh -huh. when it's not doing a repeat of the movie, it's better. But I think that the repeat of the movie parts don't hit as well. So okay, fetch doesn't f feel as fresh. The, the jokes about, like, the one where, you know, Regina George is like, so you, you think you're pretty. Doesn't feel as oh. mean. Like, there's a lot of lines that are repeated almost verbatim, and they don't feel as good as the original. But when it's doing its own thing and kind of bursting at the seams, it's a little bit better. So I, I'm very mixed on this, but it's fun. I had a good time. It won't replace the first one for me, but yeah it was entertaining. Yeah, I yeah. haven't really had a desire to see it, which I feel bad about. But, like, it's not that... I, I'm glad that it exists. I just don't think I should see it. I don't know. <laughs> I would I would wait. It It feels like a streaming movie rather than, like, a, a theater movie, if that makes sense. I hate saying that. I also, that, like... I'm sorry. I I think, you know, I forgot. It's because it's a musical. It's not because it's Mean Girls. It's because it's Mean Girls the musical. And I just don't... I am not a big musical person. And so... I just don't... I don't... It's not for me. It's mostly the genre. Just... Same. I'm not usually a musical fan. 
Um, used to be. Is it long? Is the movie long? Not so much. It's it's like an hour and fifty minutes. Okay, that's not terrible. The musical well, is two and a half, so they cut a whole lot out. Two and a half, Jesus! Musicals yeah. are always long, though. <laughs> they are. They really are. Uh, but yeah, that's Mean Girls musical. It's in theaters. Um, I personally would wait for streaming, but cool. if you really like musicals, maybe it'd be better worth going to see in the theater. But for me. Streaming. <laughs> okay, an important new book. All right, so I literally just got this in the mail and I just started it. I am not that far into it, but I wanted to talk about it already because I really love okay. it. And it's also very a very Mary Beth book. So this is The Furies, um, Women, Vengeance, and Justice by Elizabeth Flock. This just came out like a couple weeks ago. But this is a nonfiction book about women who have gotten revenge against rapists it's basically rape revenge oh. nonfiction. oh and yeah so i'm gonna talk a little bit about sexual assault here everybody so just as like a trigger warning i'll be mentioned a lot but elizabeth flock is a sexual assault survivor and she is an investigative reporter who has spent a lot of her career uh research doing reporting and research on issues of uh gendered violence around the world and so this book is um Three, three, the business book is basically a collection of the research and interviews she's done with three specific women from around the world. So the first one, um, and the one I'm reading right now, is about a woman named Brittany Smith from Alabama who um, killed the man who supposedly raped her, and she was put in jail and wasn't protected. Then there's Anguri Daharia, who is the leader of a gang in, in northern India that... Um, assaults rapists and domestic abusers with bamboo canes and beat them. Shit. And then there is uh, Chichek Mustafa Zibo, who is a fighter um, in a all-female militia that fights ISIS in Syria. What? Specifically, she targets men who assault and batter women. Wow. And so this book is looking not just, like, it's not just celebrating women, like, and this kind of stuff. It's looking at these women who have taken matters into their own hands when the justice system won't do anything for them. And, but what does that mean? And does it actually exact any meaningful change? And does it need to? And like, is this, it's grappling with a lot of things that I obviously am really fascinated with, especially in horror. And she's doing a lot of this work, like in like actual people. So Obviously, it's not an easy read by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I, it's a really important book that looks at like vengeance and justice and how women are complicated and can be violent, but also like what choice do we have in a world that doesn't seem to really care about us? So yeah, this just came out. I'm really into it so far, obviously. And it's like meaningful that a sexual assault survivor is writing it. Like she's right. writing it from a very... Mm -hmm. She has a perspective. Different perspective. And her intro actually is really, really fascinating, especially in talking about like what it's like to like work in something that you are personally attached to and that has caused you trauma, which I deeply relate to when like directing a movie about sexual assault. So yeah, it's heavy, but I think it's really important, especially as like we see cinema going towards more like vengeful women and chaotic women. And I love that. And I think this book is a really awesome, like kind of compliment to showing like 
hey, in the real world when this happens, like, what does that actually mean? And is justice even possible? So, yeah, it's obviously a downer, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, but I re- I'm really into it so far. Again, I'm not super far into it, but I like it so much I wanted to talk about it. Um, and again, it's very much my shit, so. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like it. But yeah, this is The Furies, Women, Vengeance, and Justice. Okay, who's the author again? Elizabeth Flock. Okay. Wow. Yes. Yeah. That sounds very um, heavy. <laughs> yes, it is. It's incredibly heavy, so sorry, y'all. But I also figure a lot of people who listen to this podcast might actually also be interested in it, so I figured. Absolutely. And I'm trying to read more nonfiction this year. Oh, okay. I think, yeah, I'm trying to read more nonfiction this year. I'm not going to stop reading a fiction, but I I just would like to feel more informed about the world. I know I'm, like, pretty well informed, but not in some places, so I don't know. I'm just trying to read more nonfiction. I can't imagine talking about a heartbreaking mystery is really going to up the mood from what we're talking about right now, so, uh... <laughs> Yeah, let's let's uh let let's keep this sad train going. Um, so this choo, is choo. <laughs> choo, choo. this is the Japanese film Monster, which oh, I finally yeah. finally got to see this last weekend. Been wanting to see it. Been very excited to see it, and I finally finally got to sit down and watch it, and it. It broke my heart. In comparison to like the amount of distraught I was after watching it, it was not an all of us strangers <laughs> level of distraught, but it was one of those okay. movies where I sat through the entire movie feeling like I was on the verge of crying. Like it was the entire okay. the entire last half of the film I was sitting there just like oh gosh, I feel like I'm just going to start to cry at any moment. Like anything could potentially push me over and it never moves past that kind of simmering point for me. But it still is very sad and very heartbreaking. And what Monster is about, it's about this uh, single mother whose husband passed away. And she's raising her her son, who is in elementary school. And one day, he starts to act a little off. Um, He comes home, and she finds that he has cut off his curls in his back of of his hair. And he he blames it on uh, school dress code. Another day he comes home and he's missing one of his shoes. He's only having, he only has one shoe. And then one day he comes home and he has bruises and she talks to him and finds out that his teacher apparently hit him. And so she marches to the school, sits down with the principal and she is met with vague promises of, I'm sorry that this happened and no one wants to tell, talk to her and tell her what's happening. She's not getting anything out of her son. Her son is is like, shut up. He's clammed up. He's not talking. The people in charge who are supposed to be protecting the kids don't want to say anything. It turns out very quickly on that potentially her son was a bully. And that there's other problems happening at school. And so that is the, the initial entry point. And what I really like about this movie is it's it's a non-linear storytelling. It kind of reminds me a bit of like Go from 1999 where we see an event unfold from different perspectives. And so from here we get this initial start and it ends with the mystery of something and I'm not I'm trying to be purposefully vague as to what happens because this is a movie 
that is all kind of about the mystery and figuring out what happened. And so it, it kind of sucks in that regard because the reason why I really liked this movie, I can't really talk about because it is technically a spoiler. Um, but so we see that and then all of a sudden we're back to the very beginning and we're following the teacher. And so we're seeing his perspective and then we're finding other people's perspective. And as this movie goes along, we as the viewer start to piece together what's happening because no one has all the information. Not at, no one has any of that, all of the little pieces that kind of fit together. And so it's by the end of the movie, you start to realize what is going on, what the stakes are. And it really is really sad. Um, but it is really, it's an incredible movie. Uh, Sakura Ando, who plays the mom, what a f- fucking actress. What an actress. She's good in everything. I love is she? her. She's She's in Godzilla Minus One. Oh my God, is she really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh shit, she is. Mm-hmm. And she's in um, Shoplifters. I don't know. It's, it's Kareda's most other movie. I don't know if you've seen that one. I that have one not. made me cry like a baby. Okay. It's so good, but it, whew, bleh. All right. Yeah, so she she is she is stunning in this. And I, I thought she looked familiar, but I didn't really kind of put it together. But she she has a very naturalistic way of being this mom. Like she feels her scenes in the first ha- the first like 40 minutes of the movie feel like a documentary. She it feels like we're just watching cuz she just has like this natural air about her and I just I love her so much. I was just like this she is putting in the work and doing such a great job. Um the cast is is really good overall but her she really stood out. I I'm enamored with her. Um but yeah, it's it's very sad. It's very moving. Um I believe it had its theatrical run and I think it is coming to streaming in f- the beginning of February. So I would I would recommend keeping this on on like your to watch list for when it comes out cuz it is exceptional. It is exceptional. And have you seen any of his other movies before? No, I I haven't. I want to now though. Shoplifters is incredible. Um, and all of his work is like just deeply affecting family dramas <laughs> about like okay. the saddest shit you could possibly think of. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, man, I really, I really wish I could talk about what this movie is actually about. I will, I will say I just as a, as to a lie, any fear. Cause like Mary Beth, when you, when you saw that I had, I had tweeted about this, you had reached out <laughs> asking if this was about a child molester. And I just, cause that was a fear of me going into this and it's not, it is not. So if you are concerned about, sexual violence of kids that is not what this is about i will allay I that to, fear. i had to i had to ask i had to ask yeah no i'm, I'm glad you, you did. read you read that synopsis and you're like yeah so <laughs> there's child abuse happening well not cool but you know what i mean yeah but yeah it's 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 phenomenal it is stunning it's probably one of it's in my top of the movies i saw last year i mean i saw it this year but movies that came out last year in theater it is it is at the top. So I really hope, I believe it is an Oscar hopeful. And I really hope that it is because it is, it's stunning. It's stunning, but. Yeah, because shoplifters. I know that I think they're, they're pushing for this to be a nomination for it. And I really, I really hope it is. So yeah. Academy voters, if you're listening, <laughs> this is the one to watch. 
Well, yeah, I just I just requested it, a screener, so that I should watch it for Gallica voting. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, gotta do that. Uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. So, now, slide swiping this and going into the city, let's talk about this OG found footage classic. What did we watch for found footage this week, Mary Beth? Man, we took it back to basics with Cloverfield! Cloverfield, which um, released in 2008. Yeah, 2008. I get it confused sometimes with Paranormal Activity because they came out at about the same time. They could not be two. Two incredibly different movies came out at the exact same time, telling very similar thematic stories. But here is really the most... It's like the most post 9-11 horror movie to ever post 9-11 <laughs> I mean, horror movie. I mean, to the point... Like, everything about it is just like, oh boy. <laughs> to the point that it's a little on the nose with some of it, because it's like... When it, it's like... <laughs> There's so like a funny. there's like a bit when when like the, the first starts happening and everyone's like, do you think it's another terrorist attack? Like, which makes sense. It makes sense because we're only seven years out from, you know, from nine eleven, and that is a very valid fear at, at that time. And so, like, I get it makes sense, but it also watching back and thinking about it as a post nine eleven film, it is a little bit on the nose with that. I mean, like. All of the ads were of the fucking Statue of Liberty not having a head. I mean, yep. c- talk about, like, uh-huh. the symbol of America's freedom has been destroyed. Like, it's so funny. I just, it's, it's so incredibly everything we would come to think about post 9-11, even down to the, how they use the shaky camera and, like, how our boy needs to be the hero. But before I get ahead of ourselves, Terry, what's Cloverfield about? <laughs> Got me uh, on that fucking high horse of being like, oh, <laughs> let me talk about... <laughs> anyway. You need to write a, a book about post-9-11 movies, Mary Beth. I'm just saying. Yeah, so Cloverfield is about a cutie patootie named Rob who is going overseas to work in Japan. And prior to the movie having started... He and his best friend, who he has been pining for for years, hooked up. We're at the the final, the like the going away party for Rob, and we're introduced to the whole cast of characters at this party, including which the worst thing about this movie is that it introduced the world to T.J. Miller. I know, I know. This Hood. is his first role. Hood. Which, <laughs> I love that his name is hud though because it literally means heads up display and so it's a little bit of a wink and a nod to the fact that he is the camera operator for this i do love that yeah all right fine but tj miller has been bequeathed to the world because of this film and that is a stain on cloverfield's legacy yeah no i uh i don't disagree with you there but then monster attacks tears off the head of statue of liberty Beth is across uh, Midtown in her apartment and she calls Rob because she is pinned down and she can't get up and she's terrified. And Rob has to go save his sweetheart. Yep. Insanity ensues. Lizzie <laughs> Kaplan's there plot. too. What's that? Lizzie Kaplan's there too. Lizzie Kaplan's there. Who gets the meanest death? Ugh. Oh my God. It's her so mean. It's so fucking mean. Her death sucks. 
they're not very nice to her character. And it, it really sucks because she was helping out T.J. Miller. <laughs> and because she helps T.J. Miller, she gets bit by the, the supersized ticks and then literally explodes. I remember, okay, I was obsessed with this movie before it came out because of all of the like, yeah, the ARG that was happening. With, oh, like, yeah. I forgot Slu- about that. Slush Show. I think was was the company like they were this was the era of like the the ARG to help, uh, you know, advertise things. We had Halo a few years before Halo Two the few years before that was doing the I Love Bees marketing campaign. Year Zero, Mm -hmm. which is the Nine Inch Nails album, had a big ARG that came out around the same time as this like ARGs. I was obsessed with and so I before this movie even came out and that that whole like ARG was happening, I was enthralled and then this was my birthday pick and we went to go see it in the movie theater for my birthday i was obsessed i was obsessed with this Fucking movie right hell yeah i couldn't find anyone to go see it in theaters with me really yeah i oh, would have gone well, hold on i can't remember if i saw it with these people or if my friend just saw it like sitting in the front row or like one of the front rows of the movie theater and getting sick i can't remember if i was there or not though but regardless, I was I was also very into this movie. Everyone was like, "Oh, it's just so shaky. It makes me nauseous." And I was it like, "You're a baby." <laughs> it is very shaky. Uh, I will say that. Purpurina in chat was said I was about to be like, "I know it wasn't the original Mean Girls that you watched, but funny that she is in the OG. Lizzie Kaplan is in the OG Mean Girls and in Cloverfield, and y'all mentioned them in the same episode. So there we go." Huh. <laughs> synchronicity. synchronicity synchronicity but yeah um so this movie i i haven't seen it in a while i had the 4k i got the 4k um blu-ray for it and so i was very excited to crack it open and watch looks great but boy this movie lean 85 minutes paced to perfection it's basically reminds me of like being on like a a theme ride at a at a at a park it just you are just constantly moving from set piece to set piece character drama I don't know, I, and I feel like a, I sound like a broken record when I talk about this, but this movie had a $30 million budget and looks better than Blockbuster's release today that cost eight to ten times as much. I realize that I keep saying this, but I don't understand how this little movie could look as good as it does. Yeah. The I bridge sequence. Know. The bridge sequence. Stunning. It's so good. Stunning. And the, re- the monster reveal, when they like, oh. look up and they see it crawling over the buildings. Oh. So good. The little ticks. So good. Like, it it looks really good. It's aged oh really God. well. And then they kind of fucked it up by trying to make more movies after. But. I mean, 10 Cloverfield Lane is stellar. It's good. It's, it is good. I don't know. Oh, I love it. It's. It's just, it's, uh, Cloverfield is found footage. I do. It's a good, it's a very good movie. It's incredibly well acted and very good. I just like, I'm just being a little bitch baby about it. Um, and Cloverfield Paradox was terrible. Sorry, everybody. But like that movie was terrible. But it's, it's just like, it's so hard when you have movies like Cloverfield that are like so culturally specific that like you cannot make them go longer. Like they are incredibly culturally specific narratives that like if you try to adapt them, you either have to like understand what makes them inherently so scary 
and like adjust it for our, our current context or just leave it alone. I know that we will never as as business executives, they will never get that. But like you can't capture the Cloverfield thing with another movie, in my opinion. And here's the thing, like we've talked recently about how the American Godzilla can't do it because it's so culturally specific this is the american godzilla we don't need a godzilla movie franchise in the u.s because this is a culturally specific monster that has some kind of like i would say connection to not as necessarily as emotional but still some kind of connection as the same way that godzilla minus one does where we are talking about a city that is seven years out from a huge disaster and trying to, you know, get through, and here comes this monster to rip through it. Like, you could draw correlations between this, the story of, of what the monster kind of represents in this film. I will say the the most unrealistic part of this movie is how fast the military presence shows up. <laughs> <laughs> when they're in the, in, the, in the subway, and after Lizzie gets um, bit, and they all of a sudden are in, like, at the triage unit, I was like, there is no way this would have been set up in this no. time we all saw what happened after fucking katrina there mm-hmm. ain't no way that we'd have all that shit set up that quick wishful thinking yeah it's just like such a good classic disaster movie creature feature yeah. all done with found footage i just think it's so impressive with like everything they created and like again like you said like it, it's our it was like it was almost like my like between paranormal activity and this, it was like we had like a Blair Witch ish moment. Not exactly the same, but especially the ARG for Cloverfield and kind of like the way they built anticipation around a lot of this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and with paranormal activities, like campaign to bring it to your city type thing, yeah. they both like embraced the digital space so well. So I would think I consider them like our generation's Blair Witch project. You're never going to have the exact same thing. So it's just cool to see, like, after watching Cloverfield, just being like, wow, this really was, like, such a moment. Like, in high school, like, when I saw it in high school, like, it was such a moment. Everyone was talking about it. Even my friends who didn't like horror movies were like, did you see Cloverfield? And so that was, like, the movie that all the, like, girls would make, like, or the guys would take their girlfriends to and stuff. Like, when it came out. So. Also, it gets away with a lot for a PG-13 movie. There are some gnarly moments in this when they're walking through the triage and there's a guy whose like stomach is literally eaten out, I guess. Like it is just missing. I was like, wow, they really they really were able to to stretch that PG-13 rating a whole lot more than they would get away with today. No, for real. Like, like the, I remember when she exploded when I first saw it. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't know you could do that. I was I was like shocked. it's shock it is shocking they really do push uh that that rating to like its fullest potential because like yeah i always forget that it's pg-13 because again we all got into the theater <laughs> didn't have to have our parents take us but like it's gnarly for a pg like i still think pg-13 horror back then was gnarlier than what it could be now you know oh. i think people are too safe with the pg-13 night swim was okay night swim almost was there okay just hasn't been one like it since. Like, there's Troll Hunter, which was like close around this, like a little close. When was Troll Hunter here? I think that was around the same time, wasn't it? 2010. Yeah. Two years later. So, like, how, how have we not, like, tried this? Whatever. I just, 
I think there's so much untapped potential. And Shin Godzilla gave us a peek into what it could look like because parts of Shin Godzilla are found footage. Oh. You, has, you still, still haven't fucking see seen it. Shin Godzilla. I, I, hey, I am you a step fool. closer because I own it now because it was on sale on digital, so I bought it. So, I mean, technically I don't own it because digital stuff doesn't really exist, but that that's a conversation for another day. RRR and Shin Godzilla, you absolute hoe. Oh, absolute hoe. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But yeah, anyway. I want, I okay, I want a found footage Jason movie. See, look, all right, now you're going to get me on my goddamn shit. I need someone... To make a found footage, like, slasher reboot. We gotta do it. Mm-hmm. We gotta mm-hmm. do it. I, you, we saw Outwaters do well. Skinamarink did well. People love horror in the high desert. There's, like, there's obviously hunger for it. It's not hard. Give it to someone like my ass. Give me $5 million. I could knock something out of the fucking park. Blumhouse, call me. I could do it. I would Jason would be to. cool as shit, though. Jason, I would love TikToks to do. and like Instagram stories. Oh, I would love to. I, I have some ideas for a slasher found footage film in my head. So there is stuff. I there. got, I got you. I got you. I win. <laughs> Paprina says you got to write your TikTok found footage movie, Mary Beth. I know. <laughs> I do. I really want to pitch an analog horror book, but. I need time first. What is time? <laughs> I don't know. We actually have to start wrapping up because we have something we got to go to now. We do. Yes. Wow. Look at that transition, everybody. <laughs> that was a um, good one. Thank you so much. So um, that Cloverfield marks the end of their found, our found footage series. We thought it was a good fitting end um, to all of that. So we're going to take a couple weeks off from like a series and just talk about what we've been watching and then give our brains some time to recharge because I know that we're both very busy and then we're going to be back with a new series that I am extremely excited about and I cannot wait to share with everybody what it's going to be. No, Pepperina, it is not Los Spookies, but you're... I don't even know if I should say right ballpark, but like... I Kind of. Kind of? Kind of. Surreal comedy. Yeah. But who are we chatting with on Monday? All right. So we are chatting with Joe Lynch about his movie, Suitable Flesh. And we are revisiting Return of the Living Dead to find out why it terrified him. We don't know why it terrified him because that's what we're going to go do right after we're done recording here. So (laughs) fresh off the presses. Um, Yeah. Well, listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch or read anything that we talked about this week? You can let us know at uh, by sending us an email at scarredforlifepodcast.gmail.com or reaching out to us on social media. I am at mbmcandrews on Twitter and I'm at mb.mcandrews on Instagram. And I'm at Gaily Dreadful everywhere. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on social um, at Scarred for us at Scarred Podcast on Twitter and Blue Sky, and at Scarred for Life Podcast on Instagram. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we are on Patreon. We have our Fresh Wounds episode this month about um, trouble every day, so sexy cannibals. And weirdly, that we record that and release that, and then all of a sudden. There's new stories about Vincent Gallo being a horrible person. So 
Yay. It's a pervert. Always a pervert. Wow, that distracted me. Um, I couldn't stop thinking you <laughs> have Zagala being a pervert. Uh, thanks to Eric Parr for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. <laughs> and until next time. Oh, that one's-